Starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the night day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So the opening words of the Bible are rife with controversy. How do we understand creation? How does what we read here correspond to what we observe in the world? How does it match up with the the modern scientific observations that are made? Do those things contradict? Do we have to pick and choose between what the natural world says and what God says? And so the text becomes a battleground. And we argue about the days of creation and the dates and the age of the earth. And sometimes it seems to me that we, in all of that battle, forget the real goal of this text. Creation is not a set of propositions to be affirmed or denied. Creation and this account are intended to inform us about where we came from and who we are responsible to, and then who we can thank and praise for this amazing world that we live in. So that when we leave Genesis 1, we are left with a certain feeling, a certain desire, a certain need as a result of what we find there. So what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is talk about creation, but specifically what creation means to you, how we take this text and use it in the way it was intended to be used. What was the goal of this text as it was written, and how can that apply and help you and me? How is this text relevant for us? Now, I was going to say, because one of the main things I believe about preaching is that I shouldn't just preach at you, I should also preach to me. So usually I'll use the word me or I here, but I thought what creation means to me kind of sounds like we're going all Oprah, you know, where I could say, well, that's just my truth and what I think. That's not really what I mean. What I'm trying to say is creation applies to our lives. And so I want us to talk about ways this text can help us. So what we're going to do is just spend a few minutes looking through Genesis 1, and then we're going to make some observations about what that's going to mean for us. Now, we need to say some things before we jump into the text about what Genesis 1 is, what it does and does not do. Now, Genesis 1 doesn't tell us how God created the entire universe. It says in verse 1 that God created the entire universe, but we don't know how that happens. It's simply pictured even when we do know how God created specific parts of the universe and specific parts of life on earth, we still don't know how that happened. For example, when God says, let there be light, how did that work? We don't know. In fact, the Bible record just says, he said, let there be light, and there it was. So who created it? How did that process go? We don't know that. That's not what Genesis 1 communicates or tells us. Sometimes we see a process of how God's word is executed in Genesis 1. For example, he's going to say, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Well, how did that work? How did the earth bring forth living creatures? We don't know. That's not what Genesis 1 was intended to tell us. Genesis 1 does not tell us how old everything is. There are no dates here, and there is nothing here that's about just the age of the earth or the age when the earth was created, how long ago that was. That's not what Genesis 1 is intended to communicate. What does Genesis 1 tell us then? Genesis 1 tells us that God originated everything. It all starts with God. Genesis 1 tells us that God ordered the earth and the heavens in a certain way. And it's going to describe that way for us. It does tell us that God made the earth habitable for life. 
and how he did that. And it does tell us that God's creation is good. That's the focus of Genesis 1. So if we go into this text expecting some kind of comprehensive, modern, scientific explanation, we're going to be disappointed. And if we are expecting more information just because we're so curious and we want details, then we're probably going to be disappointed and we might end up misusing the text. So what I want to do is sort of take the text on its own terms and then see what it could mean for us. Verses 1 and 2. Let's look in verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before there was life, God created the universe. Heavens and earth in verse 1 is what the ancients would have used as a descriptor of the entire universe. The heavens and the earth meaning what they would see as the sky and the land below them. But not just the earth, but also the other planets that would comprise what they would see in the heavens. So what we have in verse 1 is what God did in the beginning. In the very beginning, God made everything. And then in verse 2, the problem is that the earth he had created, verse 2, was without form and void. And there was darkness and there was water, but there was no order to it. So this is all before the seven days of creation. You see that? We haven't started creation days yet until verse 3, where we're going to jump into the first day. No, this is before where God creates the universe and God creates the earth. And that problem of the earth being without form and void in verse 2, one scholar says that that means it was uninhabitable and wilderness. That is to say, there was an earth, but it wasn't ready for life. And so what God is going to do in these seven days of creation is take what he has made and prepare it for life. And that's what the seven days of creation are about. And what sticks out to me as I read through these seven days is that there is a rhythm to them sort of a, a music to the creation. And I, and I want us to get that rhythm. Let's look beginning in verse 3 here. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So this is the rhythm. In each day, God's going to speak. Let there be light. And then there is usually a separation so in verse 4, it says God separated the light from the darkness. And a lot of God's creative work in this passage is about him separating elements into places and ways that they can work best. And we're going to come back to that a little later in the lesson. There is always a report from the narrator. He'll say something like, and it was so, or and so God created. There is an evaluation. That begins to happen on the third day where God looks at what he's done and he says it's good. So God is looking at his creation and evaluating it. And then there is a time statement. The evening and the morning was the first day. Now, there is another pattern at work in this text that some other people have identified, and I want to point it out for you because I think it's helpful, and that is this pattern, that the days in the first three days correspond to things in the, the last three days or the second three days, four, five, and six. So in day one, God creates the light or day, and in day four, he's going to set lights in the heavens, the sun, moon, and stars. On day two, God is going to separate the firmament, create the firmament, and make skies and seas. And in day five, he's going to populate the skies and seas with birds and sea creatures. In day three, he's going to create the earth, or at least the earth will be separated and populated and make vegetation on the earth. In day six, the earth is going to be populated by land, animals, and humans. So you see, what he does is he creates the realm, and then he cycles back and creates the creatures that are going to inhabit the realm. So there is a 
a pattern to this and a movement to this that I want you to see because God is creating order in the world. And that's what this text is about. So here he creates light on day one, separates it from darkness, names it day and night. And that is how time will be marked by the creatures that are going to live on earth. They're going to mark time by the movement of the sun, the light and the dark, the day and the night. And so there is the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So here he separates. Evidently, at this time, there was water covering everything. You see that back in verse 2, the spirits hovering over the face of the waters. So God separates the waters into two spheres, into the waters on earth and what we would call the waters above the earth. We would call that something like the atmosphere or the sky. And so that idea of separation of those two things to make realms that he's later going to populate. So that's the second day. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So God makes the waters recede and the dry land appear. He's separating those things so that now there can be land on which life can thrive. Because again, what God is doing is creating conditions for life on earth in these days. And he calls on the earth to sprout vegetation, which is going to be important for life, particularly for the beings that are going to come later. So you have all of these, this pattern now. We've seen those first three days where God creates the realms. And now beginning in day four, he begins to cycle back and populate the realms. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. What's interesting here is that God created life previously. We saw that already on the first day. God created light, and we could actually say God created light before the first day in the sense that he created the heavens and the earth, which have a natural light-giving uh, propensity. You look at the stars, and the, the stars generate light. But he has here decreed light as the time marker on the first day, and now he delegates that responsibility to specific bodies, sun, moon, and stars. Now that raises some questions. That raises the question like, how did that go if we already had light and now we suddenly have the sun? So for example, day three has vegetation and we know that vegetation doesn't grow without sun. So how did that work? How do you have day three vegetation, day four sun when there's already been light? Where was the light coming from? Is there some other source of light? What are we doing with that? Well, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would think I would know that, uh, but I'll just say this. Was there some other way God could sustain life? Of course. 
Is there some other purpose he had for the son, and here now he delegates the son to do this work? That's possible. I just can't really answer them. What I can say is God chose to fill these realms in stages. And so now he is filling the realm and the need for light on the earth in the stage of day four. So now we have sun, moon, and stars that are going to mark things on the earth, mark time, and of course regulate the processes by which the earth is going to be able to be habitable for life. Seasons, times that now are the basis of what we would call nature. We see those things as given by God. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So he creates sea creatures and birds. I want you to notice that in verse 20 it says, Let the waters swarm, which is going to sound a lot like let the earth bring forth living creatures. That is, he seems to use some of the things he has already made to create things in a further way. So you see this is the day that corresponds, like we just said, to the, uh, the making of the skies and seas on day two. Now we have the, the birds in the skies and the sea creatures in the sea. So he blesses them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And guess what? They've been doing that ever since. Be fruitful and multiply. God created this world to be lived in. And now he populates the earth that he made, and he tells them, you continue to populate it. Be fruitful and multiply Verse 24, we're ready for day 6, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed is in its, in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So he creates land creatures, and he creates people. He makes them, I hope you've noticed this as we've gone through, he makes them according to their kinds, and that's specified each time, according to their kinds. They're going to reproduce after their kind. They're going to, people are going to make more people. Birds are going to make more birds. And you can get more specific about that if you like, but that is the way God creates us. And he creates man as the climax of the week. You can kind of tell that because it's a much longer reading than the other days because he's got more to say about how he's going to create man. In fact, instead of man just being let there be, God says let us make man, as if man is going to be a unique creation. And then he gives man dominion over the other animals, and then he looks at his work and he says it is very good. Chapter 2, 
In verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work he had done in creation. So God rests. His work is finished. The universe is ready for the habitation of life. What once was barren and uninhabitable now is the amazing world that we see where life just thrives. It abounds. You can't stop it. And I want you to get in your head a little bit some of the shows that come on TV that are nature shows that show the variety of the plants and birds and animals, sometimes following them around, and the amazing variety of creation. We see it around us here, but there is far more to this than any of us could ever explore And so I want us to think about that though we might have some questions about some of the specifics, like we talked about the light thing, and I don't know exactly how that worked, and I don't know exactly all the, I I can't, my, my mind has a hard time getting wrapped around the idea of how God could create everything in the way that he did. But we know the gist of what is being said. God is claiming responsibility for creation and for the essential parts of life. Only he provides that explanation. Things like consciousness or the origin of life. God is responsible for everything we see and know. So now the question is, well, what does that mean? Is that, is that just a proposition? Are we just doing philosophy here where we say, you know what? Some people believe this is how we got here and some people believe this and we believe this because the Bible told us so. I want us to take that and chew on it a little bit based on some of the things that are here in the text. First of all, I want to say that creation means to you that you live in an ordered world. Look back in verse 14. In verse 14 it says, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And so God separates separates day from night, signs and seasons, days and years. Have you noticed that we're getting into summer, okay? And, and we're not, we don't go outside, and we're not surprised by that, right? Well, it's about the time of year where every year, every year it's going to get hot. And then we know, even though we kind of have forgotten about it, in about six months it's going to get really cold, so cold that we forget that it gets hot. And then the cycle will repeat itself. This, is, this doesn't surprise us. This is the way the world always works. Things reproduce according to their kind. Animals, plants. You you take the seeds from a plant and you plant them. You're going to get the plant whose seed you planted. When when people have children, they don't go in expecting the, the child to be some kind of animal. We reproduce according to kind. We know that. It's so familiar that it passes by unnoticed. Why are things the way that they are? Why is there such order? And that is where science helps us. Science doesn't help us in the realm of explanation of origins. But science does speak to incredible order, and it does so through observation. So, for example, science tells us that there is a periodic table by which elements occur according to certain properties in a certain order. 
And it's really amazing that that would just happen. Science tells us about how animals can be classified according to certain groups and traits. Science tells us about seasons and cycles like the water cycle, food chains, planetary orbits, gravity, magnetism, temperatures, soil consistencies, all of these things that need to be in certain ways in order to have life. And science says that's the way the world works. It doesn't have to be this way. Why would the world be ordered if it was random? Why would the world suddenly just decide to create itself in the way that it exists? Why would elements, lifeless elements like nitrogen and helium and phosphorus suddenly say, you know what, let's have these properties and everybody line up. Why is there such order? For those who seek completely naturalistic explanations of the world, you know, people who say God had nothing to do with this, there is no God, you still have to answer, where did the order come from? So what does creation mean? Creation means somebody is laying claim to the order in the world. In fact, our attempts at order, human attempts, things like law and government and organization, hierarchies, corporations, all they are are efforts to mirror the order we see in the world that comes from a creator. We're doing the best we can. In fact, sometimes, sometimes we even use our ideas to try to label what happens naturally. Have you heard of the laws of nature? A law is a human concept that is used to describe something. We have no idea why it is the way it is. It just is because we live in an ordered world. Here's what I want you to see about that, though. Order means limits. Order means boundaries so that the sea and the land have to be separated, so that the day and night have to be separated. And it means that if you cross that boundary, there is no longer order. And we need to know that life thrives in order and humanity thrives in order. There is an application there for us. The application is if we are going to live in a way that honors the Creator, and serves our purpose, there will be boundaries to what we do. There will be things that are off limits. There will be things that are bad for us and destructive to the creation. Because God did not make us to live out of our boundaries. He has a point and a purpose. You live in an ordered world and you see in that God's power and God's wisdom and God's goodness. I wish I had time, but I don't. Let me just say this. Go home and read Psalm 104. And in Psalm 104, there is an incredible song about the beauty of the order God has made and the limits of it and how God fits into it. But for time's sake, we'll move on. What creation means to you is that you live in an ordered world. Second, it means that you have a creator. We learn a lot about God in Genesis 1. In God, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That he is before the universe, which means he is both beyond what we know and experience, but he is also immensely powerful because he has made things that we can't even reach the, the limits of. But he has also made all things and put them in their place. Did you notice how he did it? He did it through speech. God spoke and it happened. Even that, of course, is sort of a, a way that it's explained to us because God doesn't 
speak the way you and I speak. God doesn't have a voice the way you and I have a voice. God is not a physical being that way. But in some way, that helps us to understand what it means for God to speak and suddenly things change and move and are created and all of creation falls in line with what God says. So in Genesis 1 and verse 26, in Genesis 1 and verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. So what God does here is he now speaks about man. Now there is a power in God's speech that is beyond what you and I experience with our speech. Sorry. Uh, and what our speech is, you know, we talk all the time. Our words, you know, we, we say thousands of words every day. When God speaks, suddenly all of creation moves. Here, God speaks about how he is going to make man in a unique way. God is going to create man in his own image. And give him dominion over the things on the earth. So what does creation mean to you? It's a reminder that you and I did not make ourselves. Where did we come from? We didn't make ourselves. We just showed up, didn't we? In fact, it was a long time before we were even aware we were here. We didn't make ourselves somebody made us. Sometimes we say to young people, don't, don't forget who you are, don't forget where you come from. The reason we do that is because origins have an impact on our behavior. Who we think we are determines who we decide we're going to be. And if we think, as naturalists tell us, that there is no point to our existence, that we came from nothing, literally, and that we are simply an accident of history, it's going to impact our behavior because we are going to believe about ourselves that we don't matter. We're going to believe that our whole purpose on earth, our whole purpose in life is simply to do what makes us happy for a little while because there is no point and there's nobody behind it all. But if you have a creator, if you are made in the image of God, then you have value no matter what. God created you. If God fashioned you, then you have a self-image that says no matter what other people say about me or what happens in my life, I matter. I am a created being. I am in the image of God. So, you have a creator, and that creator has incredible power in the things that he says when he speaks. We listen. And so we learn to trust that creator. And we learn to trust his word because not only did he make us, he wants our good. And he has put us in a place where we thrive. And so there is this natural tendency to then say, okay, well, if I am a created being, what do I do now? So the psalmist says, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Do you see the connection there? You made me. Help me understand what you want from me. Because when we are created, there is a natural tendency to say, okay, well, what connection should I have to the person who made me, the one who made me? Paul says in Acts 17, and he made from one man 
every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. For he's not far from each one of us. We are also his offspring, he goes on to say. So you see the idea? He made us, and he determined where we're going to live and how the nations are going to move. But the goal is that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That there is a natural desire when we know we've been created to say, well, what? why did you make me? What, what's the point? What do you want from me? And that leads me to the last thing, which is to say, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. This is illustrated several ways in the creation account. First of all, you just have a natural expectation. Everything God makes here has a purpose, right? God doesn't create anything and then say, okay, well, I, sorry, that was extra. Everything has a place. Everything goes in its place. Everything works in its place. Every creature, every area. He made the earth to be lived in. He made creatures to live on it. There are boundaries and limits and structures. Some are even given commands. But I want you to look again at Genesis 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1 and verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So you have a purpose. Now, there is a purpose toward the creation, and you see that purpose here. It is to be stewards. It is to be in dominion over the creation, to take care of the creation. That comes through our ability that God has given us to tame the creation by our power and by our intelligence, to help and bless the creatures that we live on this earth with, because God has given us special, uh, not only special role, but special gifts in that. Psalmist says this, you have made him, talking about man, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And we see that generally true, that God has blessed us. And, and he says, what is man that you're mindful of him, that you've given us this great purpose. But we also have a purpose toward God to seek Him, to honor and to obey Him, to praise Him. And it's very interesting to me because the way this is painted in Scripture is that everything God makes automatically praises Him. The heavens declare the glory of God. It, it, it's not something that they choose to do or not to do. The stars don't say, you know what, today I don't feel like glorifying God. They just do. But there is... One class of created earth beings that has that option. That you and I have been given the freedom to glorify and seek God or not. Now a lot of that plays out in the pages of the Bible. It plays out in the idea that we are a moral being. Unlike dogs. Yes, I know sometimes when dogs do wrong, they look sad, but they're sad that you're going to be mad at them. They're not sad because they understand moral laws. Other beings don't have the moral dimension that humans do. And God has expectations for people. We have a purpose 
that we were created for. I want you to go with me to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. We're familiar with this one because we sing a song that's taken almost verbatim from it. Psalm 148. And I want you to notice how this pattern, uh, this is patterned after the way the creation events unfold. Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. So notice that. We're praising the Lord from the heavens right now. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you shining stars. Praise Him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. So here... The first part is that all the the heavens should praise Jehovah. That includes here angels, he puts in there, but we also have the created sun, moon, stars, and what he calls in verse 4, the highest heavens. Then in verse 7, he says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his words. So we get some weather in there. Verse 9, Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. So here we have it all, all these different things. Now he says, you know, you should praise God, but really they don't have any choice, do they? They're praising God because they were created by God. But then in verse 11, you get people. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. So now you have all of the earth creatures blending their voices, so to speak, in praise of God. And what is said here is that you and I as human beings are intended to throw our voice into the great song that is constantly going on in our world. The song that every day the world wakes up praising God. The only missing element is, will you? Will human beings join in creation's song? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. God has given us tremendous freedom. He has given us consciousness. He's given us a moral awareness that he has not given to any other creature. I wonder, too, if God hasn't made us in his image in the sense that he has given us this desire to create and to build and to bring order to the world. Just like God creates and builds and brings order, so we like to do that, too, don't we, as humans, in a way that's different from other creatures. Naturalism, though, says that there is no purpose, no point. You don't have a goal. There's nothing you're supposed to achieve. You just are, and we're not really sure why. But God says differently. And I especially want to add, please don't tune me out just yet. I'm not quite done. I especially want to add that God did not make us to be self-centered. He did not make us that we would turn in on ourselves and ignore the rest of creation, the rest of our fellow humans, and Him. God made us to contribute to the world around us. God made us to contribute to the people around us. God made us to praise the God over us. And when we turn in on ourselves and fixate on ourselves, we distort our purpose 
And we wind up making ourselves miserable because we were not made for that. I would also say that if you are having trouble in your life and the way that you're living your life is just not working for you, this may be the the reason. Have you ever needed a screwdriver and all you had was a hammer? You know, hammer's a great tool, but it's not very good for unscrewing screws. That's not what it was made for. And the reason that you may be having difficulty living the way you are is because you may not be fulfilling your purpose. You may be living in a way that's not what you were made for. I found that by the way in recent weeks for myself. I tend toward this personally, where I tend to get sort of tunnel vision about my own things that I have to deal with. It's natural for me to fixate on my own things. And I neglect others, and sometimes I neglect God. And then, inevitably, every time, always, I get frustrated and depressed and overwhelmed. Usually I complain to my wife about it. And she says, maybe you need to go do something for somebody. The reason I struggle with that, the reason we all struggle when we live that way, is because that's not what we were made for. We have a purpose. And our purpose is not found in ourselves. Our purpose is found in contributing to the lives of those around us and praising our God. So it may be that you have neglected that purpose and there's a change that you need to make this morning. And I want to give you the opportunity now, if you need to make a bigger change, to say, it's time for me to stop living for myself and give my life over to Jesus. I want you to know that the same God that created you The same God that created the world that you live in has also reached out to you in love, knowing who you are and the tendencies that you have, knowing the sins that you've committed. He offered his son to take those sins away so that you could have a new purpose, so that you could become a new creature, so that you could truly fulfill what he has created you to do and to be. And if you're ready to come and to give your life over to him and have those sins washed away, begin that new life in praising God. Please come right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.